Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. And we are recording. How's everyone today? Good? Good. Great. Traffic's bad. Traffic's bad out there. I have to tell you that. I guess. Uh, it must be summer on the East End. Must be. And I think I was just saying um, earlier today that I feel like, you know, we're actually back to sort of the 2019 and before model where, you know, things are really ramping up as far as events and whatnot. And But also you have a lot of people, I think, who've relocated out here since the pandemic and they haven't really left. So, um, and everybody seems to be expanding their house given the trade parade on the road. So, fun times on the east end um so hitting the record button as usual today is bill sutton hey bill how are you hey annette i'm bill sutton i'm the managing editor of the express news group and also with us is joe shaw hiya joe hey annette i'm joe shaw i'm the executive editor of the express news group and brendan j o'reilly is in the house in his house hi i'm brendan i am the deputy managing editor and I'm Annette Hankel, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today are a couple special guests. One is Mike Wright, our senior reporter. Hey, Mike. Hi, everybody. And also joining us is Rob Wiesenthal. And Rob is the CEO of Blade. And that's the service that provides transportation to and from New York City via seaplane and helicopter. Um, and Rob, you look like you're joining us from Manhattan today. Yeah, yes, I am. You are. Well, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. This has been a topic that we've written a little bit about. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised little. you don't have a special section every week. Well, there's an idea. Can we it sell some like ads? <laughs> Maybe we could sell some ads in that. Yeah. Um, so it's this is so complicated. I know we've got, you know, Mike is, that's why I wanted to really have Mike on this because you've written so much, Mike, about it. And I know um, East Hampton Airport has sort of been uh, the center for a lot of the activity, actually all of the activity when it comes to um, air traffic on the East End. And there's been a lot of back and forth and, and East Hampton Airport is going through some efforts to sort of change the way it functions. So Mike, I wondered if you wanted to, to jump in and then we could... Um, bring Robin to talk a bit about Blade as a, as a business and the history of that as well. Uh, yes, uh, and you, you, you hark to a lot there. We don't need to belabor a lot of it, but uh, uh, suffice to say that there's, uh, there's some tumult in the community in, the, in recent years about uh, noise at East Hampton Airport, and there's been some uh, uh, steps taken by the local government to try and get that under control. Um, and, you know, a Blade, Rob's company, has is sort of you know maybe maybe as a function of their kind of uh, cool name uh, has has become sort of the most recognizable uh, brand in the aviation business um, around East Hampton Airport. Certainly, there's there's plenty of other um, companies that fly in and out of their tailwind and Sound Aviation and uh, or Shoreline Aviation, I should say. Um, and uh, but Blade Blade has you know gets a gets a lot of the darts thrown at it simply because they've become the most prominent and their their name is on a lot of aircraft that go in and out of there and uh the company's had a you know pretty meteoric rise and and i think rob we'd like to we'd like to have you start sort of back at the beginning of how how blade actually got started what uh, what brought rise to it were you were you one of the founders or are you a, a hired guy no. okay. i am yes i am uh the the, uh, the founder of the company uh, and, and currently the ceo so and, and so t- Start from the beginning. Where where did it come sure. from? How did you get into the into the heli, uh, aircraft charter business? Well, yes. Yeah, so I guess it, kind of the aviation service business. You know, uh, you know, a lot of what we do, the majority of what we do, is actually sharing aircraft, obviously, uh, and selling by the seat. I think that um, <clears throat> before Blade to fly a helicopter, you know, say even to, to the East End, to eat, you know, could literally be, you know six or eight thousand dollars which is uh, beyond uh uh the you know the budget of, of of obviously most people and you know you know we had an average utilization of 1.4 seats for every six seats in a helicopter and so both from uh, an economic perspective an environmental perspective and a noise perspective uh the idea of you effectively utilizing that aircraft more efficiently should make it to 
uh, so there was a, a terrific business, but also more importantly, you know, more economic for uh, the people that are actually uh, flying, you know, as, as well, it been being a really better value uh, and, you know, basically turning what could be a four hour drive into a 35 minute flight. But uh, at the start of the company, it really wasn't about helicopters or seaplanes. I mean, the, the name of the company is not Blade Helicopter. It's Blade uh, Urban Air Mobility. And what the company's been focused on and how it's actually raised money is on the transition from conventional air, uh, aircraft, conventional seaplanes and helicopters to what we call EVA, electric vertical aircraft. Um, and, you know, these are aircraft that we actually have contractually uh, entered into agreements with manufacturers uh, to facilitate this big change that's going to happen uh, starting hopefully in 2024 or 2025 uh, when we'll have aircraft that take four to six people uh, can take off or land vertically in a city and land like a plane at an airport or land like a helicopter in an airport and they are electric emission free they are quiet on takeoff and landing and near silent in overflight and overflight as you know is where a lot of the noise comes from um, and from a business perspective that's really important because uh, a heliport or an airport uh, is is something that you know it, it, it can be a very polarizing piece of infrastructure and the big piece of polarization is noise so if you can reduce the noise from our perspective there's a great unlock of other places to land uh, so that really was the thesis of the company and to make it acid light so we work with vetted operators who meet our pilot standards levels of insurance you know mechanical dil diligence and at some point there'll be an asset swap where you're going to go from conventional aircraft to these EVA. So you know, an analogy is like most of you probably uh, are old enough to remember uh, when Netflix were putting DVDs in a bag, right? Uh, they didn't call the company DVDs in a the bag, they called it Netflix because they knew streaming was coming. It just wasn't ready yet. That's really the way we look at Blade. What streaming was to Netflix, EVA is to Blade. Uh, and we're just not we're just not there yet. It's going to take a couple more years. So, Rob, that, you're saying that was part of the original yeah. plan for Blade. I mean, from the beginning, because we we've talked at, at some of our express sessions about this potential evolution uh, of in coming in aviation with the electric aircraft and how that may start to address some of the concerns about both pollution and and the noise. But you're saying that that was actually the one of the driving purposes of, for, of forming Blade was moving in that direction. The fundamental principle was to get people out of the helicopter business. Really? Because helicopters are, they are, they are, it is a very, it is a technology that is actually quite old. If you take a look at a 70s helicopter and the helicopter is built in 2020, yes, there are avionics or safety features, there's lots of stuff, but essentially it really hasn't changed that much. There are thousands of moving parts in a helicopter. And as you know, with with the, what's happening on, on the ground with uh, electric vehicles, I don't have to tell you guys, you probably all know it, there are very few moving parts. That's why you're not you know, seeing these electric cars like going in and out of maintenance shops all the time, which and when the cost of maintenance is lower, the cost of ownership and driving is lower, the same thing applies to aircraft as well. So the prices should come down, they'll be emission-free, uh, uh, excuse me, they'll be emission-free and they'll be electric and quiet. And until then, we all our helicopter flights in total are carbon uh, neutral uh, through the purchase of uh, not just carbon credits, but actually funding projects where a lot of our um, uh, flyers live, like literally taking collecting methane from uh, landfills and moving that out, and you know basically computing what our what our carbon savings is on that. You know, Rob, I'm curious about the seaplane component. I think that people were, were nervous with what was going on at the airport that maybe a lot of your business is moving into the seaplane service. Is that sort of just an ancillary thing and that really the helicopter, the electric helicopters is really where you're looking to go? I mean, seaplane, so to us, it's all urban air mobility. In other words, the seaplanes land in the city and so do the helicopters. 
and so both would be replaced by what we call electric vertical aircraft. And just to let you understand, like our first uh, committed uh, deal for 20 aircraft by 2024, we're putting some cushion for 2025. It's called the Beta Technologies Alia. It flies every day between Burlington, Vermont, and Plattsburgh, New York. And we're hoping to do a demonstration in the second half of this year in the greater New York area. But a seaplane to us and a helicopter are pretty much one and the same for, from the perspective of the Hamptons. They both leave Manhattan and go to the Hamptons. How obviously one takes off and can land on water, the other doesn't. Different noise footprint. Uh, economics are, you know, relatively close uh, but what it does offer them the hell on the seaplane side is they do have what we call instrument ifr capability so when there's inclement weather we'll often move people for uh safety reasons obviously from helicopters to seaplanes because we have very strict uh internal uh restrictions in terms of when we will fly versus when we will not depending on weather and, and, and ceilings in terms of clouds Sorry, I had to mute myself because there was a plane going over. So. Come Natalie. I couldn't see the logo though, so I don't know if it was one of yours, but I don't think so. Yeah. Ironically. I'm sure it was a, it was someone's private jet. Not nothing from us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you guys get blamed for all the noise, right? Is that is Yeah, that I mean, we're kind of it's we've become the Kleenex of helicopters, so to speak. Uh <laughs> it, it's way to de describe it. Yeah, if it's if it's good or bad and it happens in the air, we 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 you know, uh we definitely get uh the brunt of it, but I think that you know, you're, we're clearly in, you know, and I've been at the East End since the kids, you know, kind of moved my way west from Spionk and Remsenburg all the way to Sag Harbor, North Haven, where I am now. You know, we, there are basically three choices for us. We're either going to make the roads wider, we're going to go underground, or we're going to go in the air. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I think there actually, we are looking at some things by water, believe it or not, but uh, there are just not a lot of options to handle the growth and lack of road infrastructure we do have out uh, in the East End right now. One thing I, I would like to say, because you guys raised a really good point about 2019, and we have terrific data, as you can imagine, since Blade was started in 2014. What we are seeing in terms of volume is things are spread out amongst the week. You know, there's no longer this Friday giant massive exodus uh, and this Monday return giant exodus it is spread out during the week um which to some people may be a good thing to other people not a good thing everybody's got their own views on noise and volume um so and then all but also i think the volume of the airport is probably down uh, a bit also because because of the flexibility people can actually choose when to drive Okay, so whereas right. before you're working to six o'clock and your boss is going to make you work to six o'clock on a Friday, that same person could be driving out at seven in the morning on a Wednesday and then working remotely the next of those days. So it's not only like full time people, but the whole remote work environment has completely changed the complexion of travel, both by ground and by air to the East End. Bob, are you also landing at the Meadow Lane helipad in Southampton yes. Village? Yes, not 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 a tremendous amount, but one thing that uh, we have done, uh, despite you know our ability to continue uh, flying into uh, uh, East Hampton Airport, is we've tried to what we call load balance and make sure that people understand that there are other places to go. Uh, you don't. It doesn't. I, I think that you, as you can imagine, some of the earlier. Some of the companies that have been in this business years ago that didn't have the benefit of digital technology and understanding where people want to go and, and and aggregate they needed to aggregate people right without digital technology so the easiest thing is everybody goes to east hampton airport that way you know that the the seaplane is filled it's simple you got one set of staff there but when in actuality even though we call it east hampton airport people are it is the nexus of all aviation throughout the east end because it's the only facility that can really handle safely the kind of traffic and different types of aircraft but those people were going to southampton they were going to montauk they were going to sag harbor and so frankly uh it helps by us kind of moving you know uh having different options for people because also certain times noise abatement routes are easier in other places than they are say um you know i don't know in southampton or other places um so it 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 definitely 
I think there's an ability to kind of, as I said, load balance and kind of, you know, tweak the, the issues of volume and noise and availability. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. So does Blade fly at to Montauk at all? Do you use that airport there? Yes. Yes, we do. And is that going to change because that airport was recently sold? Um, I, you know, the airport has been sold. Uh, my understanding has been sold to someone who wants to keep it as an airport, uh, who is concerned about the, the, the eventuality of uh, either severe restrictions or closure of uh, uh, East Hampton Airport. Uh, we fly there now. Uh, I think one of the things you've all talked about, and I've listened to your podcast, and I think they're great, and they go deep, uh, diversion is a, is a reality. We do believe people will continue flying out there, and Montauk is a very, one of a couple proxies for East Hampton Airport in the event that you're unable to land there. Rob, were you, were you part of the conversations at all? Um, when, when the airport sold, were you involved in any of the conversations about that with the what do you mean? Does, did you try and buy it? Well, I'm actually curious whether you had a conversation with the folks who did buy it um, and have some some conversations already in advance of that. Um, I I, uh, I guess the best way to say it is that I uh, we know we've known the owners and the operators of the airport um, for a very, very long time. Um, uh, the, the former owners and operators. Um, and we. Uh, know that the uh, the new owner uh, is uh, is is definitely looking to keep it as an airport it definitely was viewed as something of not only value uh, uh, economic value but also of value in terms of uh, residents who want to fly in and out in easy types of you know easier forms of transportation that are a little less friction than sometimes driving uh, but there's been no you know no this is very fresh so there haven't been any kind of uh, in-depth discussions with any of the new owners or anything like that do you think there'll be a big jump in your usage at, at Montauk potentially? Is that is that? I, I think I think it really will depend on what happens with East Hampton. Um, you know, the I, I, they're not. It's not like they're. I, I believe the new owners are going to run it efficiently and safely. I don't believe they're going to. There's some kind of massive expansion plans or anything like that. Um, and uh, it really depends on, as I said before, you know, you, you take a look at the volume of aviation in and out of. Um, the Hamptons, East Hampton is definitely big, but you know, I, you guys have seen the statistics, you know, the noise complaints are from, you know, literally the same dozens of people, you know, we've had, there've been town meetings where someone has admitted calling 2,500 times, uh, you know, uh, 2,500 times or more during a summer, there are people on the North Fork that still call, even though there are no flights over the North Fork, you know, it's really a, uh, an emotional issue with a lot of people. And it's something that we really think a lot about. We analyze noise footprints. It's not really just uh, decibels. I mean, the sound of a helicopter triggers people more than, say, a sound of a jet, even though a jet could be much louder. Uh, it's We always think about noise in terms of, especially as we move into this new technology, much more about the noise footprint. You know, you don't think about that your blender is 10 times louder than a helicopter. but you're turning your blender on, it's in your house, it's not up to above you, you know it's not it's not coming and then going. It it's it's there's a lot, there's a lot of science behind it, believe it or not. And there's a lot of work that's being done, uh, even on conventional aircraft to get those those noise footprints down. Rob, tell us tell us uh, you know, from a business standpoint, what the difference for you between helicopters and seaplanes is. 
Um, I know that during the pandemic, we saw a lot more of a shift to seaplanes or in the last several years, much more of a shift to seaplanes away from helicopters, partly because of the noise difference. But are, are there are there logistical uh, uh, hangups with seaplanes that make helicopters just something that needs to still be a, a major part of the transportation fleet? Or could I think, uh, I, I think you had told me once that seaplanes, the passengers say seaplanes are more comfortable, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, seaplanes are a lot of passengers find seaplanes more comfortable. I think one of the issues for the people who live in Manhattan is that seaplanes are only allowed to leave from the east side of Manhattan. So if you want to leave from the west side of Manhattan, you, you can only do that by helicopter. And on our, it, still, we do. There's still a tremendous amount of traffic in in Manhattan. Uh, so people who live all the way east, you know, that could be 40 minutes in the wrong direction uh, instead of the Hamptons uh, to go to the west side. So you have a lot of people who want an east side, you know, want an east side solution. So that you know, seaplanes definitely help with that because where it takes off. And there are a lot of people because Manhattan is a lot of developers say is tilting down into the right meaning downtown into the west, uh, where the west side is a great option. Unfortunately, right now, that's only helicopters. You, you talked earlier about uh, about exploring some uh, water transportation options. What does that look like? Is that ferries or are we talking about? Uh, no. Uh, and this is, uh, I would say, further out than EVA. Um, we are working uh, with a company right now that actually has uh a i would have to a, a call it a high-speed waterborne aircraft so what it actually does is uh as opposed to say like a hydrofoil that's kind of skimming the surface it's actually going about five feet mm. above the water so it's dealt by the coast guard in terms of uh you know everything from safety and where it can go uh but it uh and it doesn't touch the faa um and it would travel at pretty much the same speed as a seaplane. Oh, really uh, larger or smaller than a, than a seaplane? I could get to 40, could I be up to 40, wow. 50 people? And uh, which is something that, you know, we've been working very closely with them. I think it's a little further out than EVA. Uh, I think some, it, it would be much less expensive. It would take much longer to get out. Probably instead of 35 minutes, it could be a little bit over an hour, not, not a huge uh, difference, but definitely something, and I believe it's on a percentage basis. And the reason is, is that when you come in, in and out of, uh, let's say you're coming in from Sag Harbor, these can go 160 miles an hour. And obviously no one is gonna want any type of waterborne aircraft <laughs> skimming the water at 160 miles an hour. So it's obviously gonna be going the speed of a boat as it approaches anywhere near where there's traffic. So there are a lot of logistic things that have to be worked out. There are a lot of people ordering these in Europe and in Asia. And, you know, we are looking at this as a, as a potential alternative for the hmm. East End as well. You'd need ferry landing points. Rob, could we just back up really quick? Could you explain to us what Blade is? You know, you and I have spoken before and, and you've, you've made the point that, you know, a lot of people say Blade is the Uber of aircraft. But you're saying you've said you've told me that Blade is is much more than that. Could you could you tell us how the how the business started? I mean, I know it started sort of as an app for booking seats on these shared charter flights. But but yeah, I I, I think it's a great question because yeah, I think it's a great soundbite. You know, to your Uber for helicopters. You know, people tell us all the time it, it's an, it's an easy soundbite or elevator pitch. But the reason why it isn't the case, if you think about Uber, any one of us on this podcast could go out, download the Uber app, get a phone with a suction cup, get in our car and start doing rides, right? You can't download the Blade, Blade app, put a suction cup on your helicopter and start doing flights. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we only, as opposed to working with hundreds of thousands of drivers, we're working with 29 highly vetted operators that are integrated with us from a technology perspective where we represent sometimes 70 or up to 100% of their business, uh, depending on which operator there is. They got to pass massive, you know, kind of safety and, you know, safety and financial wherewithal tests. They have a certain type of aircraft, safety procedures that exceeds uh, FAA standards in almost uh, all areas. 
uh, but then there's a, so there's a consistency of service, right? So you may get into an Uber and the, dri the, the, the driver may be a good driver or not so good driver. He may have a good command of the English language or not. It may be dirty, it may be clean. It, you know, it could be any type of certain type of class of car. There, we're able to offer a consistency because each of those 29 operators have their own system. These are full-time employees. They have, you know, they're usually former military, former NYPD, uh, with usually, you know, about a thousand hours of, uh, of time in the cockpit. Uh, and so we're able to offer a consistency of service, both in terms of reliability and safety. Uh, and then also in terms of, you know, logistics, that integration with our technology platform that covers everything from when they actually start missions uh, to telling them who their passengers are to compute weight and balance. But what I think is also important, there, this isn't a rev share model. You know, we are the ones taking the economic risk. We actually take these aircraft and pay the, uh, we uh, take the operators and we pay them by the hour for use of their aircraft exclusively. And then we're the ones that create the fact, we create the flight, the route, the cost of a seat. If you're on an, if, if, they're, if it's full, it's making money. If it's empty, it's making less money, obviously, if it's, if it's only a couple of people. And, uh, so we're really utilizing that equipment. So again, so that's a real difference between Uber is sort of like the gig economy, right? Uh, with a, a lack of consistency of, of, of service uh, and in my mind also, also potentially safety uh, versus this kind of integrated uh, system that we have. And the only difference from us and you would say like a convention, say an airline, not the only difference, but one of the main differences is that we do not own operate or maintain these aircraft. We diligence said we have a seven person safety team that does that, but we need to focus much more on, you know, you know, customer experience, safety, reliability, you know, uh, booking, billing, all, all those things. And then also what we're doing today, uh, which is talking about, you know, because next to safety, our number one priority is being a good neighbor. So having conversations like this, so people at least understand what the issues are and, and they can hear the solutions that we think are possible and also hear, you know, hear back from the public in terms of what their big concerns are. And, and Rob, tell me how big a role has East Hampton Airport played in the, in the growth of Blade? Because I mean, you, you are operating in other arenas now besides just the New York City to uh, region, but. Uh, Interesting, I mean, most people don't know this, but right now half our business on a revenue basis is the medical business. We're the largest air transporter of human organs for, uh, for transplants in the uh, United States. Really? Uh, so actually uh, East Hampton is a very, very small, it's kind of a single digit percentage uh, uh, of, of, our, of our overall business, uh, but it's something uh, that is near and dear to our heart because it was one of the first routes we started. And I, I live out there. I think it's a valuable service. Uh, flyers love it. There's some people who don't use it, who obviously don't love the idea that it exists, um, but it's something we're very passionate about. And it's something that's really associated with the brand for sure. It's almost like the, if you remember the back in the days when GE owned NBC, GE was this kind of giant company and people, when, when the Today Show ratings would go down, that's all anybody would talk about, about what was going on at GE. So despite the fact that East Hampton is a very small part of our business in terms of, uh, you know, the press and what people talk about. I mean, it's, you know, the Hamptons, is, as I like to say, the Hamptons, as you guys know, is a celebrity and people like talking about the Hamptons. And if you're touching the Hamptons in any way, shape or form, you're going to be part of that narrative. The medical transport thing, is that is that something that you was part of the original plan or did that just kind of materialize as a, uh, you know, sort of an obvious, uh, obvious uh, business angle? Oh, the medical transport started, uh, um, we realized we were so we were really good at logistics, and uh, one of uh, our shareholders was very involved in NYU. Our East Side uh, Blade Terminal is literally almost part of NYU Langone, and we found out they were spending about seventy, uh, up to seventy thousand dollars sometimes transporting human organs uh, for transplants, and we got that price down to about four thousand dollars because they were wow. using jet and ambulances where we could take a helicopter and fly 
from a hospital straight to a hospital. Um, and uh, we got FA certification for, uh, to do uh, these organ movements. Uh, it requires a different type of certification than for moving people. And um, we realized the same, the same muscles we had in logistics and take, taking care of people were great for hospitals as well. And I think that we've improved outcomes and we've lowered the price for patients and for hospitals and insurance companies. So it's a, it's a business we're really proud of for sure. Rob, can we put some numbers on this uh, as far as um, blade service to the, to the South Fork? How many, I'm curious whether we can put it in some context too. How many people, uh, you know, are you delivering out here? How does that compare to when you started a few years ago? Where do you think it'll be in another year or two? Can you, you don't have any spreadsheets in front of you and I don't need exact numbers, but can you give us some context here of what we're talking about, about the numbers of flights and the numbers of people? I wish I could, but because we're public, I can't. I can't break out numbers like that as a publicly traded company. Um, mm. But I, what I what I would say is uh, I'll say a couple things. You know, num- during the pandemic, um, when you know, kind of right during lockdown and right after, um, Blade was had stopped flights to the Hamptons, and yet noise complaints actually grew. Uh, there really weren't much missions out, out of there. There were things in the sky, but when people were a lot of people working home, there were, there were a lot of complaints. I think, you know, we, uh, you know, right now, just like you, you guys have witnessed, it, it kind of feels like to us that we're at these pre-pandemic levels uh, in terms of overall volume, but it's very spread out. It's not this you know, massive onslaught between four and seven on a Friday and four and seven on a Sunday and seven to 10 on a Monday morning. It is, it is seven days a week in much less. So the numbers, but the numbers of people are comparable, but it's spread out a lot more and and not so. Yeah. I would say say comparable, maybe a little, like maybe a little bit less or a little bit, maybe flat. It's kind of comparable getting back to 19. Uh, We've had price increases um, so, and part of the reason of the price increases is to lessen the, the reliance on East Hampton airport. Uh, so you'll notice that it's much less expensive to fly to other places than to East Hampton, whether they're farther or they're shorter, because, you know, we are, we're sensitive to, um, the objectives of, uh, uh, you know, Peter Van Skorik and the town board, uh, of what they want to accomplish. So I can ask Rob, have you have you um, asked your pilots to alter the routes that they take in and out of East Hampton? Because I, I live not far from the airport, but I've noticed like just driving by there, it seems pretty like I'll go down to Beach Lane and Wayne Scott, which is near Georgica, and I just see the helicopters going right over Georgica and then going up the ocean. And yeah. I just wondering, is that the, the new preferred route in our or is there more adherence <laughs> to that now? Do you think yeah, I think I look, I think that the industry did an extremely poor job uh, of defining um, these so-called noise abatement routes, especially when you think about what they call the November route, which essentially, you know, Robbins Island then kind of going straight over Noyak over the same seven homes all day long. I mean, that just, that is, from our perspective, just made no sense. So we have the ability and what we are doing as long as the East Hampton Tower allows us to do it and West Hampton allows us to do it and the weather allows us to do it, is to fly an all water route straight from Manhattan. So when you leave from the west side, you're going down the Hudson River, you're going around Coney Island, you're going up the, uh, the ocean far enough away that you're not really causing uh, noise. And then you have about 10 seconds, you're right, when you're making that left turn over Georgica Pond, hopefully at about 3,000 or 3,500 feet before you get over the airport and uh, and you start people, unfortunately, and now with these routes, your ears are popping and you're kind of doing circles and going down to a lower level and landing safely. Uh, well, so Steven Spielberg's on the phone and he's not happy about the fact that- <laughs> I, 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 that I the like flights- to say, you know, the, uh, uh, the people on Georgia Capond are, if they're not customers, they have their own aircraft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're, the, they're the ones who are, who are flying in too loaded, too low and too loud. So, so. Yeah, no, but we're, look, we're sensitive to them. Obviously, FSC, the people are on Georgia as well. So we really think the altitudes are important there. And then once you get over the airport, 
uh, you can start kind of, you know, finding a, you know, because you're really high, but luckily the airport's 600 acres and you find your way down to a, an altitude of ultimately, ultimately land. That is, you're, now you're talking about 99% all water routing. Now, unfortunately, that has not reduced the number of noise complaints. Um, and then also there's a lot of taking for, especially for seaplanes uh, and for helicopters, mm. uh, the, the route over Orient Point, which is all the way around, around much longer flight. That's effective for uh, potentially Sag Harbor, but unfortunately that has many of the same issues as the November route because once they get towards Sag Harbor, if it's a helicopter, they're going to have to get over, go over land to get to that was called the echo route. So we think the Sierra route over the ocean uh, is one that uh, is a, a great one for, uh, you know, for departures and arrivals. And I think what's also interesting to, to, to us is if you take, you know, obviously, you know, East Hampton, this is a polarizing issue and, and curious what you guys think about it. The, East Hampton Airport is truly on the western border of East Hampton. So in other words, aircraft go to East Hampton, stop, <laughs> and either uh, uh, take passengers off or take people on, yet this issue has polarized people all the way through East Hampton and, and uh, through, through East Hampton. And believe me, I know the volume of Montauk, it, the Montauk flights are not what you know, the issues in terms of noise. And, you know, and I think this is why you saw the letter from Jay Schneiderman uh, to Peter Van Skoyak, which was publicly available saying, please, let's really discuss this because the, the if you think about the November route, the November route is going over Southampton. Yeah, arguably. It is not an East, Ham it is not an East Hampton issue. Uh, arguably, East Eastern Southampton town is, is more affected by some of this than, than East Hampton town residents, definitely, yeah. I mean, you mean Eastern Southampton, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eastern absolutely. Yet it's become an East Hampton issue. And uh, if you go to town meetings, you still have tons of people in, for coming from Mattituck. No one flies over the North Fork anymore. And so, you know, that became this kind of polarizing issue where I think that for some, for whatever the reason was, there was this we have to help solve this issue for the people who live in the North Fork. Um, and that when they try to solve the issue for the North Fork, then all of a sudden we came with some of these issues with the November route. In other words, it, think about it as a balloon. When you squeeze the balloon, it, 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 you know, the balloon ends up being bigger at some other point in the balloon. And we just need to think about like everything from load balancing to all, all water routes. But I think uh, I'm glad you uh, mentioned it. And that I think that I think the o all ocean route, albeit it is longer for the passengers, it's a very easy thing for us to say, look, we're not going over houses. You know, I know, I know you're complaining. I know you live. Here's where the route is. And as opposed to it just it just puts the truth you out. Would, you would think the passengers would kind of enjoy the flying up the ocean anyway. Don't... Um, yeah, I mean, I think they want to get there quickly. It's, it's it, it, I think it is a very a scenic route. And uh, you're in, the, you know, in terms of uh, complaints, there really, you know, uh, isn't aren't they haven't really we haven't received any from the people who have their houses on the ocean this is Catherine Manu and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband Gavin of the Express News Group local community news matters more than ever with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet we live in the communities we cover we are your neighbors your friends your family we tell the good stories and unfortunately the bad we focus on your triumphs and losses but we can't do this without our subscribers to subscribe please visit 27east.com slash subscribe and thank you for your support I wanted to ask about seaplanes again really quickly. And, and um, we, we talked about seaplanes taking off from Manhattan, but um, what, are, what are the challenges of landing seaplanes like outside Sac Harbor? I know that there's, I think, what, a 1,500 foot buffer where you can't land them. But I just wondered, you know, like that whole area, is that, what, what are the, the benefits and the challenges of bringing seaplanes into that body of water? Um, yeah, there, isn't, there isn't a tremendous amount of volume. We, you know, we, I have to admit, 
when I compare the experience uh, that we've had dealing with the town of East Hampton versus on the other side, what the experience we had with dealing with uh, Mayor LaRocca and Sag Harbor, it really is kind of like a tale of two cities because they had a real issue, they engaged, and in four days we had resolution. We provide them with data, you know, we've worked with the harbor master, we have a new route, we're in constant communication, and I just, you know, I wish, you know, we would have had the, kind of the same benefit of in East Hampton. I, I think there are just too many, I think there are too many, there's so many constituents uh, in East Hampton, so I can't put this all in the town of East Hampton, and Peter Vanskoyak and the town where I know they're doing their best. There's so many constituents, this was a very, it wasn't a simple problem, but there were less constituent stakeholders to deal with. So we changed some routing. Um, you know, the pilots are well trained in Sag Harbor in terms of challenges. You know, frankly, they're not a lot. You know, you have to you 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 uh, uh, you land and you get on a floating dock and then you get on uh, uh, the town uh, water taxi to and uh, some people think that's enjoyable being in a boat and some people think it's a pain. I think it's it's terrific. Uh, I think the noise footprint of a um, of a seaplane landing is is much more easy for most people. Uh, in terms of water traffic, the route that we have is one that is relatively devoid of it. You know, and obviously a seaplane is not forced to land. There have been times in which you know the water uh, and the conditions are you know too windy, too choppy, where we might land, say at. Uh, at East Hampton, uh, you know, just so both the comfort of passengers and safety. Um, but I think it's working out pretty well. Robert, you said something early on, and, and I apologize. I apologize if I misunderstood it, but it's something I want to explore. You, you talk about the, the coming use of electric aviation vehicles and electric helicopters. Did I hear you say that that'll also allow that that so much of the air travel now is focused on East Hampton Airport and that electric aircraft may open it up so that you don't need a central point necessarily. Did, am I understanding that, that these electric helicopters, you may not have to have them all go to an airport. They may be able to land on large estates, things like that. Is that an option? Or I, I know I know nothing about these aircraft. Sure. Sure. I, I think if you're familiar with uh, it, it's, think of it as a very small plane that can land and take off like a plane or land or land and take off like a helicopter. Okay, that's really what they look like carrying between four and six people. I think the idea is that because they're silent and overflight, and I, when I say silent, that's, you don't hear it, uh, but they're not noisy and they're I would say I put them in the quiet category and take off and landing that communities will be more open to having additional landing zones right now in the Hamptons even if you had an EVA you cannot land on someone's estate you can't just okay. randomly take an aircraft so the idea is that you know if we go to the town of East Hampton or we go to another town and say look this is the noise footprint listen to it here this and that would you like this would you like a us to help build a landing zone here uh, because, you know, talk to your community, see if they think it's convenient, think if, is, do they agree with us about the noise footprint? Maybe there's too much traffic they don't want here and there. It's just, it makes it a more viable option. As you can imagine, the chances, uh, you know, you, you probably have a better chance of building a nuclear power plant in the Hamptons than building another heliport, <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> But that may change everything if the if the aircraft are actually very quiet. Then something like exactly. the, the the heliport in Southampton Village might become. You might see more of those around the communities. That's the point that that's, we're looking possible. ten I, years down the start, line. It'll start. You know, it'll start in the cities for sure. I mean, I I, I am skeptical. Have been having been uh, like many maybe maybe many of you. Uh, been on the side of been dealing with you know with our own homes with zoning issues and <laughs> architectural review boards and you know everything from septic to you know water overflow environmental impact i mean i am not i think that i'm a pragmatist so my view about eva is using the existing infrastructure in the east end it'll make the noise footprint essentially much more bearable if not go away. Mm. I don't 
see based on what I see with the community, people saying, gee, this is great. Let's just start putting landing pads everywhere in the Hamptons. That's just not, I mean, you could barely build a house in certain communities or, you know, a retail establishment. So, you know, we're, it's a pretty strict community in terms of what can and can't be done. So maybe we could have a helipad on top of that new affordable housing complex they want to put in Tech <laughs> Harbor. How do you think that would go over, Rob? Uh, well, you know, if the prices, if the if we really think we get the prices down to what we think, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's going to be definitely this. We are constantly grinding down the price. We are now in New York City. You can take Blade to the airport for less than an Uber Black and actually less than uh, an Uber X during rush hour. With an annual airport pass, you fly as much as you want for $95 to the JFK or to Newark. So we're finally at the point where we're being competitive with ground transportation for these short distances. And when EVA starts happening, it'll become even more competitive. Obviously, 90, 100 miles is a long time. We're already, in a grant, if you're in your own Uber, there's no question. We we beat Uber to the Hamptons all day long, but that's not how most people get out there. It's really the train or the jitney, you know, or driving. So what's the timetable on EVAs? Legitimate timetable. You said 2024, 2020. Yeah, I think legitimate is a great way to do it because they are flying today. The, the big thing is certification uh, by the FAA. So while with they're working and they're flying and there are people in them and uh, they're still not certified for passenger service. And that's something that the manufacturers are saying 2024, we're saying 2025. And, but that's just for sort of trial runs. So if, if, if all goes well. No, 2025, 2025 would be with passengers. They're doing, they're flying every day, uh, between New York and Vermont and within New York state, uh, now, uh, they're just not certified for passenger use. Are, are they significantly cheaper to 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 fly than uh, the the existing aircraft? Uh, yeah, they, they are they are definitely less expensive to fly and to maintain because as you, as we talked about, they're less moving parts, just like in an electric car. Uh, and to purchase, they're probably on par, maybe slightly less expensive than helicopters. So it'll, it'll, there'll be a certain momentum when they start to get to be used. There's a real momentum pushing forward using them more and more. I would think. Yeah, well, I think that one of the things we were concerned with, uh, and I hate to go back to kind of like, you know, the the Netflix analogy, there were many companies that kept saying, we don't want streaming, let's keep pumping out these DVDs, we're making so much money. What we want to do is use our capital to catalyze the companies that own these helicopters to say, look, we're not going to use you unless you switch. Mm. And we will help you finance this transition because in the beginning, there's probably be a cohabitation phase. We have helicopters, seaplanes, and EVA, and eventually it would all move to EVA. Not unlike back, you know, hundreds of years ago, where you had some small motor cars, but there were still, you know, horses and buggies too. Yeah. So my thinking is between the EVAs and the electric leaf blowers, it's going to be quiet out here in a few years. <laughs> And once we all get a get a our Teslas, you won't hear a thing except the crickets. Yeah, well, we'll see from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah, but Rob, the problem is going to be it's like Harley's. You're going to have to put noise making things on the aircraft so that there's a safety. Uh, yeah, That's exactly. Uh, yeah. People hear you coming. You're going to have to put a playing card in the tire. <laughs> yeah. Good, Those birds good. are going to be so blindsided. Yeah, Rob. Rob, where else does uh, Blade um, run run charter? Uh, you know, operate charter charter aircraft. Are you in Miami, Boston, Chicago? Any of those we are. We, are uh, we, fly, we fly throughout the Northeast. Uh, we are the largest uh, company in Western Canada, flying between Victoria. Uh, uh, Victoria, Vancouver, and Nanaimo in, in Western Canada. We are in Europe uh, in, uh, with, a, with a recent acquisition in, uh, in Nice and in, uh, in Monaco and some of the other uh, southern areas there. And we're also in India flying between uh, Mumbai, Pune, Shirdi, Goa, and Bangalore. Wow. Is that, is that sort of similar... Uh demographics where you have where you have wealthy urban travelers trying to go to more rural places 
No, it was interesting. In Canada, uh, you know, helicopters are a way of life. Uh, you can't, there are no bridges or tunnels between Vancouver and Victoria. So 40% of our passengers are government employees. And uh, the average seat price is about $175. I have to say, I was out in Vancouver a few years ago, and I was fascinating watching those planes come and go. We were there for probably an hour. It's very cool looking. It's you know, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And sea and helicopters. It's a beautiful stretch of water, and it's just like they got it figured out. We appreciate your time, Rob. One of these days, would you be willing at some point to, to take part in a, in a public conversation or is that just not something you're interested in? I think it's, I think, you know, look, I spoke in Montauk, uh, once, uh, this is actually the very first time, um, uh, that, uh, I've had any type of, uh, you know, interview with the press and Michael's been terrific. And I, and I'll be honest with you, all of you guys, I mean, it, the reason why I'm here is because when I listened to your podcast, where you were talking about the airport. I just found everything you said being very, very balanced and actual, not emotional. And so I thank you guys, you know, for that. Um, and so I, and I appreciate the opportunity that you guys gave me today. Sure. Absolutely. We'd, and we'll give you a few, we'll give you future opportunities too. I hope you'll, I hope you'll take advantage of them. Great. I, I'm sure I will. Thanks for, thanks for doing this, Rob. Yeah. Much appreciated. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.